Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is Kirinor Floor Green the 17th. My name is Adam, and today I'm going to give you my spoiler review of Firstborn by uh, Tanya C. Cook and Paul B. Thompson. Now, I will be spoiling this story, so if you don't want to know it, stop watching and definitely go read it. I would invite you to consider becoming a member of this YouTube channel if you're not. That was a rough transition. If you're not already, and uh, remind you, you can always uh, pick up Dragonlance Gaming Materials using my affiliate links. Those are in the description below. All right. So um, this is my opinion only. If you disagree or agree or have different thoughts that I don't bring up, please put them in live YouTube chat if you're joining live. And if you're not, put them in the comments because I told you to. <laughs> there must be a good reason why. Uh, Trees, thanks for joining live. Dragonlance Audiobooks, what is up? How are you guys doing? It is a good series. Lots of, um, lots of elves. <laughs> Almost exclusively elves. Alright, so the way these work is I'm going to give you my pre-written review, and after that, if there's anything that pops up in your minds or anything comes up in YouTube chat, we'll just sort of riff on it for a little bit. And we'll just talk a little Dragonlance, a little bit of Elven Nations trilogy. This is a genuinely good trilogy that I'm very happy to be re um, not really re-examining, re-exploring, just revisiting. I'm having a good time with it. And especially after having watched Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon series, this would make a great TV series. Like, really, really good. So uh, definitely check this out if you like political dramas, because it it's all political drama. It's really great. Solid Cumbie, how you doing, man? All right, here we go. We open up with Sithel, Speaker of the Sun. I'm sorry, stars, leaving his wife near Akina after she delivered his twin sons, Sethas and Kith Cannon. Sethel approaches Vedvedsika, the servant of Gilean, to read from the Tobril and tell him the future of his sons. Vedvedsika recounts that they both wear crowns, which confuses Sethel because he's there's only one elven nation that he's aware of. Then we fast forward to Kith Cannon riding his griffin Archibalus, returning from an adventure. We get the impression that Kith Cannon is the adventurous twin, where Sethas is the dutiful reserved one. Kith rendezvous with his lover Hermathia, an elf maiden who refuses Kith's request for marriage, instead loving the thrill of their secret affair. Kith returns to the tower as his father calls him and his brother to announce his brother's betrothal to none other than Hermathia. Saw that one coming a mile away. This tears Kith apart, but he doesn't want to admit the secret affair with her. He ends up storming out, and on the announcement day, he, like, confronts everyone, drawing his sword, breaking the law, and demands Hermathia leave with him. She instead chooses Sith over Kith, and infuriates Kith, who then leaves. We learn that Hermathia is more interested in growing power in her family and herself through her new husband and future Speaker of the Stars than staying true to love. Now, Kith leaves and gets lost in the deep woods. His mount is stolen by an Argothian woodsman, and he discovered, uh, he's discovered by an elf named Mikkeli. Uh, he's an elven boy who saves Kith from quicksand. On the way to Mikkeli's home, they're presented with the Forest Master, that's right, that Forest Master, who tells Kith that he must join Mikkeli and his friend to rid the forest of interlopers. Kith accepts and becomes friends with Mikkeli. Kith learns some forest passage techniques, and Mikkeli leaves to scavenge and Anaya arrives, Mikkeli's friend. She is a Kaganesti elf who also trains Kith after verifying the story with the Forest Master. 
Together they leave to find McKelly, who hasn't returned after days, and they find woodsmen sent by Lord Ragnarius of Aragoth. Anaya is captured, and Sith saves her and McKelly, then is nearly killed by Voltorno, a half-human who ensorcelled Archibalus. McKelly saves Kith, and they fly off to collect Anaya. Back in Sylvanesty, elves from the village of Trocali report that Ergothian humans with Kilganesty elves are terrorizing and enslaving residents, forcing the survivors to abandon their villages so Ergoth can claim the land. Ergoth is in a state of expansionism and just hit Sylvanesty's borders. This sets up skirmishes to come between Sylvanesty and Ergoth. This first third of the novel is a wonderful introduction to Sylvanesty perspective and how even in elven cultures, the Sylvanesty are seen as the city dwellers, while Kiganesty are much more nature-loving than even them. It's a wonderful contrast to how we've been presenting with elves thus far in the saga as has been released, because elves are always seen as nature-loving people. But then when Anaya is talking to Kith Cannon about the Sylvanesty, it is very much like disdainful. She looks down the fact that you steal in metals. She looks down the fact that they live in buildings and structures and manipulate the land. So it's just everything is from a certain point of view with the elves, and I absolutely love it. Um, crazy how a girl can pick between twins. <laughs> well, according to Brahm, they don't really look like twins. So <laughs> the paintings are very, very different. So anyway, I love the differences in culture and the setup for political and military conflict to come. The relationship between Kith and Anaya develops into love, which Anaya initially rejects as she hides away from Kith and McKelly. She eventually returns and accepts Kith's love, then even gets pregnant. But since her connection has left the forest and focus on Kith, her connection to the forest and her abilities begin to wane as well. She accepts this as the price for her love, however. This causes snow to fall for the first time, and her forest is completely covered in snow in this winter. The three of them struggle through the winter, and on the other side of it, old enemies return. Voltorno has not, uh, was not killed by the bolt that McKelly shot him with, and he returns to the forest with troops to abduct Kith and sell him for ransom after realizing who he was. This doesn't go so well, as the three fight them off, and Anaya goes full Rambo on all of them, murdering them in their sleep one at a time. Back in Sylvanost, the political issues continue to rise. As more refugees arrive, Sylvanost suggests they relocate the human and half-humans to a new location outside of the city. This spurs a revolt unintentionally caused by Mira Telesina, the high priestess and most difficult name to pronounce in this damn book. She is tried once, uh, once the revolt ends and sent to the prisons. But with the temperature growing, uh, getting increasingly more difficult in Sylvanost, Sithel learns that there is a traitor in the council, as the contingent of 50 troops that he sent in order to discover the source of the attacks are all murdered. Ambassadors from Thorbarden and Ergoth arrive to work through the issues, and it's suggested that Ergoth is secretly expanding its borders. Hermathia and Silthas grow increasingly distant as she misses her fertile time blaming him. As trouble grows for the royal family from without and from within, there is no end in sight for this political drama. Now, the final third of this novel is as good as any episode of Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon, even in the good seasons. Voltorno tries to spirit Kith away, only to have his men picked off one at a time before Anaya kills him herself, but not before Voltorno deals a killing blow to her and her unborn son. 
This understandably devastates Kith, who takes his uh, to who takes her back her corpse back to his camp with McKelly. She ends up waking up and transforming into an oak, a tree. From Sylvanos, Seathas calls Kith, and Kith takes McKelly with him to return home. The call is this ancient rite that Sylvanesty can do where they just, if they're intimately connected with someone, they can reach across any distance and connect with them on a sort of spiritual level. So he apologizes to his father, Kith, uh, apologizes to his father and shares the experiences that he's had. This changes the Argothian position as Kith saw the deforestation and murdering of locals by the Argothians firsthand. The political maneuverings are amazing, and I genuinely like the dwarf ambassador Dunbarth, even if the authors and editors allowed no less than three versions of misspellings of his name to persist in this novel. Honestly, people, pay attention. So with Kith back and sharing his perspective in the fight over the no-man's land between the kingdoms of Sylvanesty, Aragoth, and Thorbarden, with no end in sight, Kith presents a shared militia, an idea about a shared militia consisting of the locals from the land and commanded by representatives of each empire to govern the free land. Everyone agrees, and Seathas is jealous of Kith's success. Hermathia tries to have an affair with Kith, who totally refuses her, and she now wants revenge. Sethas suspects that she, or Vedvedsika, is the traitor who recently saved the speaker's life from a recurrence of an old fever. Vedvedsika, not Hermathia. So Kith is sent to command the militia, and assassins try to kill him en route to the territory. The assassins end up killing McKelly, and this also deeply scars Kith. His whole life in the Wildwood is now just a shadow of a memory. Sithel, the speaker, confronts Terralind, the Ergothian ambassador, as being the Ergothian emperor's sister, as she's been lying to him this whole time, and Ulvison about working with Voltorno after Kith recognized him as he chased Kith away. He banned them both from Sylvanost, which set up his assassination attempt, I believe. When he is invited to the territory Kith is working in, they all go for a hunt, and Sithel is murdered by a forester named Dremek, who works for Elvusin, or Elvisin. They return, uh, I'm sorry, they run the humans off when they threaten the elves, and Seathas, the new speaker, demands recompense from the emperor, uh, the Argothian emperor, knowing that war is imminent. He sends Kith back out to the territory to protect Sylvanesty, and he confronts Hermathia, his wife. She tried to assassinate Kith by hiring Vedvedsika, who then told Sethas about it. Now this leaves her a traitor and alone with the threat of prison if she doesn't stand down. Sethas is now also alone. His father died, his wife is a traitor, his brother is far away, and his mother is in mourning. The state of the Sylvanistine nation has never been more precarious since the Dragon Wars. I really wish this was made into a series because it is that good. I'm covering, I'm not covering every single event that comes in, uh, to pass, and I highly recommend that you read this trilogy yourself if you love Dragonlance, elves, or political and military dramas. It is rich with passion, betrayal, loyalty, and sacrifice. It is a brilliant novel. All right, what do you guys have to say? The world building for the elves in this is just fantastic. I absolutely adore it. You've been running a Dragonlance now um, for 5e, and you're really loving it. Nice. Do you have elves in it? Is this the Shadow of the Dragon Queen you're running? Crazy how a girl can pick between twins. So the, the whole girl thing, I thought, I mean, 
it was obvious that she was going to be the betrothed. They set it up in the novel where, you know, Seathass didn't even know who his wife-to-be would be. And Kith Cannon, of course, had no idea. Only Sithel knew. And he was making a political decision based on the family structure and political um, situation in uh, Sylvanos. And so it made sense that Sithel would choose a family of prominent authority in order to raise them up, but also so he can, of course, um, make closer ties with the different guilds and the different factions in Sylvanos through the marriage. And Hermathia, of course, didn't want to pass up an opportunity to be ostensibly the queen once the king dies. And so she is clearly only thinking about her family and her own political power. And that is right out of a book that apparently George R.R. R. Martin stole from these uh, Tanya C. Cook and uh, I don't know who the other guy was, Paul B. Thompson. Because... Like, literally, almost everything that happened politically in this novel was later released in Game of Thrones series. You had Robert Baratheon being gored by a boar from a boar hunt, and that's how he, uh, you know, sort of started dying. Um, and then ultimately, you know, he was sort of traitors in the midst. Well, it was the boar hunt that led to Seafell dying. Um, you have... Uh, Okay, well, off the top of my head, that's the only one I can think of. Oh, you have um, in uh, House of the Dragon, the High Waters being married into the um, Targaryen family. And this was very much for political gains, and it ended up causing the, the war between the High Towers and the... Um, um, I just said the damn name too. Anyway, I can't remember Game of Thrones that much. I, it's been a little while since I've read it. Uh, anyway, it is very reminiscent of those political dramas. Those books are seen as like the ultimate in fantasy political drama. So if those are just copies of this, I mean, let's get to the source, people. Dragonlance. All right. Anyway, uh, could be worse. Tinker Gnome names. <laughs> Dude, this name is ridiculous. Let me just spell it out for people who've never read this. M-I-R-I-T-E-L-I-S-I-N-A. Miratelicina is how I could... The only way I could pronounce it. It's ridiculous. Like, what are you guys thinking? Just give me a name. I don't care if it's Sarah. <laughs> Just give me a name I can pronounce without staring at it for like, I don't know, 35 seconds going, wait a second, is it... No, is it... No, is it... It's ridiculous. It... It, first of all, it takes you out of the novel. Like, that is the most horrendous part of a bad spelling of a name. It totally takes you out of the novel. But then you have to think every time you read it, even though you're reading it, in your head. You should not have to think when you're reading except for about the story, not the mechanic of the word. Ah, it totally just rips you out of the story. It sucks. All right. That uh, means the entire trilogy is published. Oh, yes, Zephyr, thanks for tuning in live. This is not a new book. This is a very, very old book. I actually don't even know when it was released. Let's find out. I have it in the notes in the description. It was released January 1st, 1991. So it is very, very old. Um, oh, there are some elf players. So in first edition of Vance Thrones and Dragons, the only elves you were allowed to play were Quonisty elves. Because Sylvanisty elves were too xenophobic and nationalistic, they wouldn't leave their forest or adventure with people outside of a full elven party. Not to mention, they were kind of in the middle of 
if it wasn't right before the War of the Lance with the Dragon War, or the Dragon Armies attacking Sylvanesty, then they were in um, Southern Ergoth as refugees. So they would not engage with any other uh, of the races. I love how in this story, it focuses so heavily on the xenophobia with Sylvanesty, not just amongst dwarves and humans and such, but also within their own caste system. They have massive slavery, which is technically outlawed, but they get away with it because it's outside of the capital city. You have, um, they look down on other species of elves, the Kiganesti. Of course, the Kiganesti haven't formed as of yet. Um, that's what Kith Cannon is ultimately going to do. Spoiler alert, in the next book. It's called the Kinslayer Wars after all. Um, but I mean, like the Kiganesti the, the hate the Sylvanesti. The Sylvanesti hate the uh, Kiganesti because they just see them as, you know, completely different species almost. It's like they turned away from what they actually were. But then you also get the really strong impression of what it means to be an elf. You were literally created out of all the gods by the greatest of the good gods. Paladine's chosen species. His gift to Kryn as a planet was elves. They had the longest lifespan of all other species. And it was only the original creating of, of creatures was elves by Paladine, the Ogres, the Irida Ogres, by Tachesis, and humans by Gilleen. That was it. Those are the only species of, of mortals, dragons, of course, were created before that, um, that existed. And so they just immediately went into their own corners. The Ogres were just immediately went into slavery. And it just, it ended up being a huge nightmare for thousands of years. This story picks up right before the Sylvanesti, um, right before the Elven Nation splinters. And so it is literally a political drama based around the twin brothers, the sons of the Speaker of the Stars. I always get this wrong. I don't know why. I can never remember. Um, that they fracture the entire Elven Nation because of their disparate views of what it means to be Sylvanesti. Kith Cannon has perspective because he lived outside of Sylvanesti for years. Sethas, uh, he sees it, he was literally raised in the priesthood. He is like hard-nosed, I am going to be the next speaker of the stars, I am going to lead the elven people, so I have to have the most regimented view of what it means to be a Sylvanesti elf. So he is very, very hard-edged in his perspective of what it means to be Sylvanesti and the purity of their race. And so, yes, it does get a little bit Nazi-like, but that's what the Sylvanesti elves are. And you can't, you can't pretend elves in Dragonlance are not very much like the Nazi party. They exterminate people. They cast people out. They enslave people. I mean, they are... There's, there, the irony that they are the created chosen species of Paladine, the god of good, the high god of good, and they are the most wicked and evil of all the species cannot be ignored and the irony is just right in your face what are you gonna do that's dragonless that's why i love dragonless not because of that but because it's so convoluted there is no good and bad right and wrong it's all perspective and that's what's great about it in my opinion all right let's see um easily one of your top five favorites of trilogies yeah for sure it's great uh, last major battle we did was we'll watch outpost <laughs> oh, <dude. laughs> Did it go like the one I ran? 
Uh, is anyone dragging this called Gary? Oh, that'd be great. That'd be simple. Gary tried to murder people, so Gary was put in jail. Not Mira Telesina. Ugh. Um, you're very welcome, Travis, for the live stream. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you, man. Uh, you too. Have a good spring. So what did you think about how they treated elf ages? In this book, if you recall, elven ages were close to 1,000 years old, if not more. Later books, the elves had them around 300. Well, so um, this, I think, was still in the Advanced Dozen of Dragons age. In Advanced Dozen of Dragons, the average age of an elf was around 700-ish, but they could go well beyond that. Seathas is well over 1,000 years old, but he's literally the son of... Um, Sylvanos, who created the Sylvanesty elves, right? I mean, he, like the elven nation of Sylvanesty. So I don't know if it's the closer you are to the creation of the species, the longer you live, and that lifetime diminishes in generations. Um, and that is a good role-playing explanation for it, I think. Another one is that when they developed out 2nd edition Advanced Sons and Dragons and 3rd edition, etc., they just said, you know what? We're not going to have them that long lived. We're going to cut it down to 300 or whatever. So it's really, you know, sort of hands in the air on game developers. But I prefer the idea that elves live for a thousand years where they, they're, it's their long lives that inform their perspectives. And, and I, I don't necessarily like the xenophobia because personally, I, I'm not a xenophobic person, I think living in a multicultural society is actually a good thing. But on a fictional narrative sense, I understand it. I understand them living so long, having to fight so hard for so long just for a nation of their own, why they would want to maintain that purity. Like, like I get that side of it, you know what I mean? So let's see what else here. Um, you prefer the longer-lived elves? Here, here. Can't believe they're not doing Dragonlance shows. There's a lot of playing options in 5e. You'd like to see something more. Uh, you can to original player options for old school Dragonlance. Yeah, I don't. I mean, the way I'm not sure I understand the the, the way you frame the question or the statement. Um, the way I see it is, there's infinitely more options now than there was in first edition, and and I think the availability of options is great as long as they fit in with the setting. I think uh, the setting of, of Dragonlance caters to having a narrower uh, option base. And it's probably just because it came out of AD&D and that's where I came out of. And so my mindset in my nostalgia for this setting is that. Or it could just be that it's simpler to run you don't have to have 800 damn books in order to find a stupid ruling for a spell or something because that does really bother me as a dm um but you know whatever if you've lived for a thousand years the death do us part makes marriage very daunting dude could you imagine uh, i've been married for well over 20 and i adore my wife I don't want to leave her at all. I don't want to end the marriage at all. We have two wonderful children and I have a very happy life. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, uh, I'm not even going to finish the statement. <laughs> the speaker and his wife seemed happy. Yeah, they were totally happy. Unrealistically happy, one might say. No, I loved how he, like Sithel, and this is the other part of this, is that when I give these reviews, I'm giving surface level 
story beats. I'm not getting into the complexity of the actual characters themselves. That's for like setting videos that I do for this channel, right? But Sethel is infinitely more focused on properly running the kingdom. His wife is infinitely more focused on taking care of the people. And you see this in her desire to actually help those who have been uh, the refugees that have been ostracized, whether they're elves, humans, half human, because they're not half elves to the elves, they're half human, um, dwarves or anything else. Like she's focused on, I, I want like Mira Telesina, <laughs> just rolls off the tongue now, uh, to just focus on helping those people. Whereas Seathas wants the purity of the capital of Sylvanos to remain. And so he's like, no, let's get them out of here. And all the guild leaders and all the um, different clans uh, are just like, yeah, let's get them out of here. They're not purebloods. They're ruining this town. We need to get them out. Like, let's ostracize them. And so it's interesting to see the dynamic between this husband and wife, king, queen, where one sees things wildly different than the other, but they complement each other and they don't fight over it. And there's something really beautiful about that. Um, other than the fact that women don't really have any rights in elven society unless they live in specific types of clans or, or guilds, you know, I mean, like they ended up being part of the wild runners and stuff. So you, as a woman, you could have that. But if you're like, like um, Hermathia, where, you know, you have to have an affair with Kith Cannon because he is way above your station and you can't really marry for love. And, you know, women don't really get a choice whom they marry. It's really up to the family. I mean, that kind of sucks. <laughs> I would think that would suck. Oh, man. Yet another dragon out. I'm not sure what you meant by that. So maybe their lifetime shortened as human blood sneaks into their family trees. Ooh, that's an interesting way of seeing it, too. You have to get the spelling. Uh, don't tell Savannah to do that theory. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yetted uh, second Dragonel. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Seven players. That's a big party, dude. <laughs> it was a bit of a bloodbath. <laughs> yeah, all the options do not fit with the setting. You'd like to have a harder line drawn in the book itself. Yeah, I understand why they didn't. You know, leave, leave decisions as far as game mechanics and balance up to the dungeon master because he's the only one that really knows the party and knows what the players are able to think about their characters and whether or not they're like, you know, really crunchy sort of metagamers or whether they're, you know, pure flighty role players or some sort of mix therein. The Dungeon Master is really going to know if the players are going to min-max their characters and be able to take X or Y or, you know, or, or whether uh, something fits into the, the campaign setting for them. Because, you know, some people are running Shadow of the Dragon Queen completely divorced from the idea of Dragonlands. You know, they're just running because it's an adventure that's interesting to them that they want to try out. But they don't know anything about Dragonlands and they just don't really even care. They just know they want to have fun with a new adventure. So I can't really fault them for that either because that's kind of what I would do if I didn't know it. You know, I'd just be like, ooh, dragons? Hell yeah, let's run that. But... Um, I like the bloodbath direction myself, too. Always provide some outs. But if choices are made, choices are made. What are you going to do? Consequences, people. You need them. All right. Anyway, that's all I really had. I just, uh, I, I really love this novel. I can't even tell you how good it is. Like, you have to read this if you've never read this. I forgot how good it was. And I think I like it more as an adult because of the political and interpersonal relationships that I didn't necessarily pick on as heavily 
as I do now. And I love them now. Now, what this version has, because I got the, uh, the collection of it where it's all three in one big book, at the beginning of each book is a little author's note about what it was like writing the book and stuff like that. They mention in, in that sort of introduction that Tanya and Paul had real disagreements about this story and that they would fight over parts of it. I got to get one of them on this show, on this podcast, on this uh, YouTube channel and talk about that because I would love to know what ideas were shot down, what ideas ended up in the trash can. You know, I, I would love to see where they wanted to go with it. Were they happy with the outcome? So actually, I think that'd be a really great idea. I, I kind of want to do that. I think I might reach out to them because that would be really, really cool. It's one of the, this is one of the trilogies that I think anyone who has read a bunch of Dragonlance novels is in their upper echelon of Dragonlance novels. And there's a reason for that. And I don't think it's just because of elves. I think it's because of the style of writing, the, the fact that they added political and interpersonal complex relationships. This is supposed to be a divinely good race, and it clearly does not act that way. And so that is a difficult thing to contextualize. And they did. And they did a brilliant job of it. So I got to talk to them. It'll, it'll be fun if I can get them on. All right. That is going to do it for my review of Firstborn by Tanya C. Cook and Paul B. Thompson. Tanya and Paul, if you're watching this at any point or anyone who has any contact with you, let's hook it up. Let's get on a conversation. Let's have some fun. And for those of you watching, do you like Sylvanesty culture, even its slavery? Would Kith Cannon make a better speaker than Silthas? Or, I'm sorry, Seathas. And finally, would you watch a series based on this trilogy? I'll add another question in there. Does it drive you nuts the way I pronounce these words? I know some of you are really ardent about it. Uh, you can always email me or uh, shoot me a message at uh, info at email. Oh my gosh. Info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click that stupid like button. All that goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And of course, this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga, and I thank you for joining me in the celebration. Once again, this has been Adam with Dragonlance Saga. Until next time... Slanjava!